0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, here with our good bishop. Happy New Year, Bishop. Happy New Year, Kyle. Thank you for being here again for another episode of Truth and Charity. You're welcome. I hope you and the family had a great octave of Christmas. Oh, yes. It flew by. Flew by. So today would be the ninth day of Christmas.
1: That's right. So now we'll go back to the the song the 12 days of christmas right uh-huh.
0: which you still have to write the uh, the eight days of cr- that's christmas. right we got to work on that well, we're gonna, <laughs> i'm not gonna let you forget it you said you'd write the words if i did the music so we'll do that well do you have a, a special prayer for us for the new year why don't we pray the the prayer that we
1: prayed at mass yesterday the collect of yesterday yesterday everyone knows was the the beautiful solemnity of mary the holy mother of god it was the last day of the christmas octave so I thought it's good, as we begin a new year, to ask for Our Lady's intercession and, and to do this prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who through the fruitful virginity of Blessed Mary, bestowed on the human race the grace of eternal salvation, grant, we pray, that we may experience the intercession of her, through whom we were found worthy to receive the author of life, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop reflects upon the church's oldest feast day, the Solemnity of Mary, the Mother of God, and its connection to Christmas. Then Bishop unpacks the Feast of the Epiphany, including the significance of the three wise men's gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And at the end of the show, Bishop and Kyle settle their Cupertino Classic Wager, and in the spirit of the Epiphany and giving gifts, Bishop receives a surprise from a Fort Wayne restaurant. To check out all our previous episodes, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop.
0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop and I want to thank everybody that came out to the Cupertino Classic last week to watch the seminarians play in a game of basketball against the priests. It's always good to have our families come out and it's always fun to see if our, our priests and seminarians just having a little bit of fun and, and, yeah. and getting a little competitive too. Yeah, and they both played so well. They worked hard. I think they worked out before the game. I was pretty impressed by both our priests and our seminarians. Yeah, we'll we'll settle up our bet at the end of the, the show here. But I did want to talk a little bit about the octave of Christmas that we, we talked about last week, and we just kind of finished up that octave. And then that leads into this uh, feast day that we had yesterday, the Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary you mentioned at the beginning of the show. Why is that kind of the conclusion of our octave of Christmas?
1: That's a good question. I I mean, Mary is a principal figure in the whole story of the Nativity, obviously mm-hmm. the, the mother of Jesus. So it seems appropriate that we have one of the days of the octave. In fact, the last day of the octave as a holy day. And, you know, we celebrate the fact that, the truth that she is truly the mother of God because Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us. He is the son of God, the eternal son of God. So it's really when we say Mary or we call Mary the mother of God, it's really a great profession of faith. It's a profession that that the child that she conceived and bore in her womb and gave birth to is really god so even though january 1st we think of as a feast of mary it's also a feast of jesus Hmm. now that title mother of god you probably know kyle and maybe many of our listeners do that this definition of mary's divine motherhood it's a dogma of our faith was proclaimed at the council of ephesus back in the year 431 the bishops of the world gathered for that council they were defending the true faith against a heresy the heresy of nestorius we call it uh, nestorianism nestorius taught that mary could only be called the mother of jesus Um, and the council of ephesus condemned this heresy because basically it split the person of christ into like a divine person and a human person saying that she was only the mother of of the human person the Uh human christ well first of all jesus wasn't a human person he was a divine person Uh who took on a human nature Hmm. so he had two natures human and divine but he's one person a divine person the Son of God who assumed our human nature. And that's why we can say that Mary is truly the the mother of God. The actual Greek word at the Council of Ephesus is theotokos. Theotokos means God-bearer, God-bearer. She conceived and bore a divine person. And this person, becoming incarnate, received his human nature from her. So in proclaiming Mary, the mother of God, we're professing our faith, our belief in the divinity of Mary's son. So it really is um, an important feast. Actually, did you know this is the oldest feast of Mary in the church's history? Huh, no, it's I the didn't. first feast that we ever had in the church's calendar. It's really connected to Christmas because she played such a great role in the mystery of the incarnation. In accomplishing God's plan of salvation, Mm -hmm. she said yes to God's invitation to be the mother of his incarnate son.
0: Yeah. And the gospel reading yesterday talks about that, the nativity narrative, the shepherds running to Bethlehem and, and finding Mary and Joseph there, the infant lying in the manger, and all this leads up which I can only imagine is a kind of a chaotic time, right? This isn't an ideal location to have a baby and there's visitors and not maybe what I would think of as a peaceful birth. And it says, and Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. I just imagine this kind of peaceful, reflective woman, humble, just absorbing everything, taking it all in and realizing what, what it all means and yeah. maybe more so than anybody else. Yeah, I, I love that, that sentence in Luke's Gospel.
1: Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. It shows the contemplative side of Mary, that we can think of her as a woman of action. I mean, she went in haste to help her cousin Elizabeth. Certainly, she was busy as at home taking care of of Jesus, etc., but also, she was a woman of contemplation. She was a woman of prayer. So she's a model for us of, of the importance of reflection in our lives, to reflect on the mysteries of our faith, to reflect in our hearts. That's why you know I love Lexio Divina, a, a way of praying with the Scriptures, not just reading the Scriptures, but, but thinking about them and meditating on them and letting them kind of penetrate us and Mary did that and that's what the gospel uh, that we heard yesterday mentions how all the, the wonderful things that happened with the nativity of our Lord that uh, they always stayed in her heart she pondered them she reflected on them in her heart Yeah, I right. noticed the um, in the gospel yesterday also you know about the shepherds visiting and adoring the infant lying in the manger the gospel ended with the mention that what happened after eight days uh-huh. because remember the eighth day is the last day of the octave we celebrate the solemnity of mary mother of god well on the eighth day when eight days were completed jesus was circumcised mm-hmm. and he was given his name he was given the name jesus which means god saves or god is salvation So that's the other thing that we remember on the last day of the octave of Christmas, the circumcision of Jesus and him being given that that powerful name. Remember St. Paul says it's the name above every other name that every knee shall bow in the heavens on the earth and under the earth at the name of Jesus. So it's the name by which the disciples expelled demons it was in the name of Jesus that they perform miracles, and it's important for us to recognize the power of the name of Jesus and, and to always say his name with
0: reverence and respect and, and not to take his name in vain. And the concept of the circumcision, we don't have a spiritual connection with circumcision anymore in Christianity. What was the significance of Jesus being circumcised It was a sign of the covenant. Mm -hmm.
1: I'd have to kind of go back and research this a little bit more. But basically, it was the mark of being a member of God's holy people, Mm -hmm. the Jewish people. And it was, yeah, a mark of the covenant, being part of the covenant people.
0: Is it maybe kind of like Jesus being baptized, that it wasn't necessary for himself, but uh, it brings holiness to the baptism? Yeah, I don't know. I I think um, it
1: would be more that i mean it was a jewish law and we know mary and joseph were always obedient to the law the law of moses but what the significance of it was for the average jewish family i'd have to research that a little
0: bit more okay well coming up we'll talk about the upcoming feast of the epiphany and what that means right here on truth and charity with bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here we're with our Bishop. And this coming Sunday, January 6th, is the Feast of the Epiphany, also known as the Visitation of the, the Kings, the Three Kings, the Magi, all kinds of different uh, names that this has for it. What is its significance? Well, I think the word Epiphany tells us the significance. It
1: means revelation or manifestation. So it's Christ's manifestation to the world. He is revealed so that the wise men who come from the East, they kind of represent that that uh, Jesus who had been born into the Jewish faith and among the Jewish people, but also his coming was for everyone. He's the redeemer, not only of the uh, people of Israel, he is the redeemer of the whole human race. So. This universality of salvation, I think, is is what we really celebrate with the Magi. And um, sometimes they're called the wise men. They're sometimes called, referred to as kings. I mean, we sing that psalm, we three kings. Yeah. And actually, that idea of them being kings really comes from the association of the Magi with the kings that are mentioned in Psalm 72 which is the responsorial psalm on the Feast of the Epiphany, Uh because that's in Psalm 72, it says, The kings of Tarshish and the Isles shall offer gifts. The kings of Arabia and Seba shall bring tribute. All kings shall pay him homage. Mm -hmm. So, but actually, were they actually kings? That's kind of in Psalm 72, but... But what do we know about them? Most, I mean, we know they came from the east. Mm -hmm. I mean, the gospel tells us that. Most scholars think they came from Persia, which Mm -hmm. is present-day Iran. Some think they came from Babylon, present-day Iraq. But Mm -hmm. wherever, some say they came from the Arabian Peninsula, present-day Saudi Arabia. Wherever they came from, they were Gentiles. Uh And they came from the east. They were not Jews. How did they get there? They were probably astrologers or astronomers. They observed the heavens. Mm-hmm. So they studied the stars. So they were men of wisdom. We call them the wise men, religious and philosophical wisdom. And they followed the star. So, so they went in search of the Messiah of Israel. They represent all humanity. They, they are Gentiles. And it was through creation, through the star. And and isn't that true for us? Creation points to the creator. So, people who weren't Jewish could still come to some knowledge of God through his creation. And even today, we can say the signature of God exists in creation. If you ever go out to, to the ocean or climbing a mountain, We look at the beauty of the universe and the order of the universe. We come to some knowledge of God as the origin of the universe and the end of the universe. Another Psalm, Psalm 19 says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. So the Magi, and they were just using human reason because they didn't have the scriptures. They followed the star and they were searching for truth. When they finally arrived in Jerusalem, the star had only taken them so far they still it had grown dim we read so how did they know to go to bethlehem well at that point they became illumined by the scriptures because the chief priests and the scribes who were there in herod's palace shared with them the prophecy of micah the prophet micah who said that the messiah would be born in bethlehem Mm -hmm. so i think it's interesting how originally It was creation that led them to God, but they needed something more. Same with us, the scriptures. God's revelation to Uh us through the scriptures. So through the scriptures, then they found exactly where he was. He was in Bethlehem and they were able to go forward and and they actually found him there and, and worshiped him. So I love that idea when we celebrate the Feast of the Epiphany of searching for God And finding God in creation Mm -hmm. and then in God's revelation to us, which is communicated to us through the scriptures and tradition.
0: All right. Well, so much to unpack there and so much to remember that every part of these stories has significance. And I think a lot of times we just see those three little characters at our nativity scene (laughs) as just extra bystanders, or, you know, like uh, they brought gifts and uh-huh. it, it was nice of them. Uh, but that there's so much more to that story. And then you know, the whole fact with them, like going back a different way. So Herod doesn't know where Jesus is and kind of buying him some time. And, uh, there's a lot, a lot going on there. So thanks but, for unpacking it a little bit for us there.
1: Oh, and, and you know what, Kyle, there's a lot more. I mean, I'm not going to get into more, but <laughs> cause I've talked long enough, but, um,
0: but even the camels. Do you have camels at your nativity set? Uh, I, I think we've got so many nativity sets. Oh, yeah. But there's, I think one of them has some camels. Did you know that that's significant? Oh. Isaiah.
1: The prophet Isaiah mentions caravans of camels. Okay. Arriving in Jerusalem. And the word is dromedaries. Uh huh. Did we talk about that at a prior show? I forget. We might have. What are dromedaries? Well, dromedaries are large camels from Arabia. Uh-huh. And they had one hump on their backs. right. So Isaiah mentions about these these caravans of camels. The other thing Isaiah says is, "All from Sheba shall come bearing gold and frankincense." Hmm. So the story of the Magi, to really understand it, it's important to know these Old Testament prophecies. It's very interesting to study this. The Old Testament, Prophecies that, that we can see fulfilled in the Epiphany. By the way, when we read the story of the Epiphany, St. Matthew doesn't say anything about camels. This is just part of the tradition that okay. we have the camels because of that prophecy from okay. Isaiah.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if you have questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop and submit your question there. Or you can call our text, the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we're going to have some of your questions answered by Bishop right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking the questions that you've submitted. Uh, before we get into those, though, we were talking about the wise men, the three kings, and the. you mentioned the prophecy of frankincense and gold. But what is the significance of those gifts, the uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Or was it just... What they happened to have with them, and there was no significance to gifts, I guess.
1: <laughs> no, I think there was significance, but you know, they weren't very practical gifts. I think Mary and Joseph <laughs> could have probably used clothes, right, <laughs> uh, and maybe food, yeah. Uh, but no, they, they are significant because they they kind of reveal the mystery of of the child's identity. You know, first of all, gold. Gold was for kings. Jesus is the king, the newborn king. Uh-huh. So certainly that gift of gold represents Jesus's kingship frankincense clearly represents his divinity Hmm. incense was burned in the temple in the worship of God and we still do that in our churches at at, uh, masses when we have incense it's sign of our offering of our prayers to God and the, the sweet smelling incense it's part of our worship of God so the frankincense refers to Jesus's identity as the divine person of the Son. And then myrrh represents or points to his humanity. you know myrrh was used when someone died. It, ha- it was also the person was anointed with myrrh. When Jesus was taken down from the cross, his body was anointed uh-huh. with myrrh and he was pl- the body was placed in the tomb. So so, really, there are three significant gifts: Christ's kingship, Christ's divinity, and Christ's humanity.
0: All right. Well, our first question from a listener comes from somebody who asked: Is it true that plants and animals have souls, but they are not immortal souls? Uh, this can be a little complicated, but I guess
1: I'll get back to some of what I learned in studying philosophy and theology about the soul. What is the soul? I mean, a soul is simply a creature's principle of life. Okay? And traditionally, if you study like Aristotle or St. Thomas Aquinas, the view is this, that there are three kinds of souls. There is the vegetative souls. Like if you're talking about a plant, it's a living thing. It has that power of nutrition, growth, reproduction that's the vegetative soul okay now if you're talking about an animal then they usually speak of more than the vegetative soul but also has other powers like sense and instinct and memory and that's called the sensitive soul and most animals have sensitive souls but human beings have rational souls which means we have the power, not only of the sensitive and vegetative souls, but also the powers of reason Mm -hmm. and will, free will. So with that background, we ask the question, or the question is asked sometimes, well, plants and animals have souls, I just explained. But then they ask the question, but are they immortal? Mm -hmm. Okay, now that's where you get into some debate. Kids will say to me, Bishop, do animals go to heaven? Right. You know, they lose a beloved pet. I think we have to be very careful because a beloved pet dies and a child is really distraught. And to say animals cannot go to heaven could really be really hurtful Mm -hmm. to a child. The fact of the matter is the church doesn't say. Mm -hmm. The church says that human beings have immortal souls. Mm -hmm. We have these rational souls. So clearly, human beings can go to heaven. But do animals go to heaven? Well, their souls are not immortal. They do not have immortal souls. And therefore, some would say, okay, that means they can't go to heaven. Uh That's not necessarily true. Because God could, if he wanted, he created these animals Uh he could for the good of the of the person when in in heaven he could um they would the animals wouldn't enjoy the beatific vision like human beings do but he could bring them to heaven as to be part of the joys and beauties of heaven for all we know sure so basically i'd say probably in our tradition most catholic theologians would say that they don't go to heaven but there's also those who say okay, they're not capable, but God could decide for our joy, even though they don't have immortal souls, he could bring them into eternity. So that's a very interesting, hopefully not too complicated response to that question. These beings, animals who have this, most of them have these, what we call sensitive souls. They are not immortal souls, but that doesn't mean that
0: God can't bring them to heaven. All right, great. Bill Schmidt asked, what do you think of the Benedict option? Okay, Bill, that
1: we could spend a whole hour on the Benedict <laughs> option. Yeah. And I think we have to be very careful because there's different interpretations of what it means. Of course we know it goes back to it's referring to Saint Benedict. Mm-hmm. Um and you know he began his monastic community and, and the rule that he wrote, the rule of Saint Benedict, at a time when there was uh you know, the barbarians coming down into Rome, the the Roman Empire was falling, it was in great moral decline. And I think um you know, we can see some parallels in our society today, in our culture today. So, the idea is we need a new Saint Benedict. That's kind of the idea that we need. And, and what did Benedict do? Well, there was a certain withdrawal from the world. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a monk. He began a monastic community. The term Benedict Option was coined by a writer uh, by the name of Rod Dreyer. Mm-hmm. Rod Dreyer wrote about this, and it became you know a big topic of conversation. But it, he really was inspired by a book by Alistair MacIntyre. Alistair uh, MacIntyre wrote a book called After Virtue. Hmm. And in that book, he argued that in our day, it, at this time of history, it's a time of renewed barbarism, and we need a new saint benedict very fascinating but then one can say rodrea takes this in a particular direction saying the benedict option a certain amount of withdrawing from the culture in order to practice one's faith and to support one another in practicing the faith this becomes very controversial some people i think have distorted Rod Dreher's ideas mm-hmm. and say that he was saying there shouldn't be any engagement with the world. I don't think he really is saying that. I kind of like the way Cardinal Ratzinger, the future Benedict XVI, I mean, and of course he took the name Benedict and I think very purposely. Um, Saint Benedict, uh, Pope Benedict had this devotion to Saint Benedict, and I think it was the idea of we need a renewal. Of the Christian life today, like that great renewal that the Benedictines carried out, that St. Benedict with his rule brought about. And it's really quite simple when you think about it. It means living the Christian life in a way that's coherent, that's real, intentional, that's simple and centered in prayer, uh, centered in the values of the gospel that are passed on to us in the church. And how to do that, and I guess most things I've read about the Benedict Option is that, okay, one needs to be deliberate about being a Christian in a post-Christian world, Uh but one needs support to do that. So there are those who are promoting new forms of community Mm -hmm. where Catholics, for example, so that they can be sustained in their faith and their moral life, that they kind of meet together together they form local communities, almost as kind of a resistance to the dominant culture, living out one's Christian faith according to the great tradition of our faith. So where there's a lot of controversy about this and a lot of different opinions is some are calling for greater withdrawal from the world and saying that really if the faith is going to survive, we need to separate more from the mm-hmm. culture. But at the same time, we've always thought about or, or, or talk about the evangelization of culture, that we're not called to withdraw from the world. We're called to be 11 in the world. Yeah. So I like to look at the Benedict option and the wisdom of St. Benedict as comprising certain key elements one is that well his motto benedict saint benedict's motto was ora et labora pray and work well i don't think that's just good advice for monks yeah you know the life of prayer if we're going to follow the benedict option if we're going to be authentic disciples of christ we need to have a prayer life Mm -hmm. and we work you know we we're involved in human labor the rule of saint benedict also established that monks were to stay put in the monastery where they profess their vows that it would be problematic for them to move around constantly and i think there's a certain wisdom in stability we need stability in our families we need stability in our communities if it's a, if we're all at a, a going through life at a frenetic place going here and there and everywhere our life becomes i think disjointed and it can become fragmented Another important thing about St. Benedict is the life of community. How are we sustained in our faith? We need others. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ that, that we support one another. We have to resist the individualism of our culture, this radical individualism that's so typical of American culture in particular. So there needs to be this communal identity. And some people are find, find that in their parishes, others don't. Some might find that sense of community in various movements like prayer groups, charismatic renewal. They might find this sense of community in other ecclesial movements like communion and liberation. We have a group in, in, at Notre Dame or Focolare or neo There's various communities, but, but really hopefully our parishes provide these communities of faith support for us where we can help build one another up in the faith. Another typical aspect of Benedictine spirituality is hospitality. You know, they were always, the monks were always open to outsiders who would, who would visit. They would welcome them as long as visitors didn't interrupt their communal life. And I think that should be the same with us. We should always be open to others in charity to share what we have with them, including sharing our faith. Another thing that you notice in the Rule of Saint Benedict is this sense of balance. Really, I'd call it common sense, and I think um, we have to be very careful in live, trying to live Christianity, live our Catholic faith in, an intentional, in an, an intentional way, that we don't fall into kind of a rigidity, a rigid legalism, for example, that maybe looks down upon people who are not members of the community. Mm-hmm you don't want a community that's so rigid that it becomes almost pharisaical. At the same time, you don't want a community that becomes so lax that it really isn't a community anymore and certainly isn't effect, uh, effective. A benediction option community should be joyful and should be open. So, there are different types of people, I, I notice, who are trying to live this benedict option. We see, for example, those who Sometimes you see this in those who homeschool their children, Mm -hmm. or you see it in those who are committed to a classical education, classical curriculum in the schools, so they want to send their children to those kind of schools. There are others who even economically kind of gone in a direction where they live in communities where they, they share their belongings with others. Uh-huh. Um, kind of, I wouldn't call it a commune, more of a cooperative, I okay. guess, would be a better word. So it shouldn't. one shouldn't have the idea that the Benedict Option means that you're just running away from the world and living off in a compound somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's how some people think when right. they hear a Benedict Option. But I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's what Rod Dreyer meant. Because ultimately, the Benedict Option is about what? It's about discipleship. Hmm. It's about discipleship and forming communities that help us to live as disciples of Christ. And really, isn't that what uh, we should be doing anyhow? We are to live in the world, but not be of the world, Jesus teaches us. There was another book some years ago, I think it was Stanley Hauerwas, he's not even Catholic, which talked about how we are resident aliens uh, in this world. And I think that's kind of another way of talking about the Benedict option. We re- recognize that that really our citizenship is in heaven. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, thank you. And reminder, if you have questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have a special surprise for Bishop, as well as we'll settle up our score on the Cupertino Classic. Coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We mentioned last week that uh, we were going to put a little wager on the Cupertino Classic. uh, Just as a summary, if the seminarians won, then that was the team you were picking. So I would, as my uh, side of the bet, would do a special recording of kind of behind the scenes with the seminarians on the, uh, well, with the seminarians who are going to be ordained to the priesthood on the ordination day. And we would kind of get to know them and some of their families and stuff and make a special episode of Truth and Charity. Uh, If the priests won, then you promised that you would read a bedtime story, a nice little Christmas story for uh, my children and any other children listening. And so uh, it's time to settle that score. Our seminarians won, which means I will be doing a special behind the scenes recording on the uh, ordination day. So I'm, I'm actually very excited about that. So congratulations to to the seminarians, two wins in a row. And uh, I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to doing a little bit of behind-the-scenes investigative journalism with our our seminarians and, yeah. and future priests. Yeah, I'm really happy our seminarians won two years in a row. They're no longer underdogs, I no, would say. No, no. Uh,
1: that's great. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> it's uh, so much fun, too, just to see all the families there, everybody enjoying our priests, our seminarians, and just celebrating as a, as a Catholic family and having some fun.
1: Yeah, really. you know, though, our priests... You you know, I'm a little disappointed. They're getting a little out of shape. I think I'm going to have to work on them to get a little bit more exercise
0: routine in there. Yeah. Did you yeah. notice how they were, you know, they just couldn't keep up? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the uh, the priests keep getting older and the seminarians just stay the same age. Kind of. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, Bishop, we have a special surprise for you. If you will remember back to our episode that we did around the Feast of St. Nicholas, one of the kids asked what your favorite foods was. Do you remember what your answer was? Was it olives? Well, no, Italian food. Yeah. Mediterranean food. So specifically, I think you mentioned a, a spaghetti carbonara made with oh, egg. Oh, I do. And carbonara cream. is the top pasta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Alex Fiato is here. He's the owner and head chef of the Italian Connection restaurant here in Fort Wayne. I've been and there. he has prepared for you a special dish. Oh, my goodness. It's my here.
3: Alex, thank you. Well, you're very welcome. Good to, good to be with you, Bishop. Buon Natale. I tell you, I've got some, uh, I don't know if you're in the mood, but I brought a little vino if you'd like. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh. I, I made you the uh, pancetta, uh, carbonara. Authentic. 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 Oh, my goodness. For, you, and then for the staff, I made some uh, uh, bolognese sauce, actually chicken riggies.
1: That is oh, great! What a big surprise! Well, we go way
3: back, Bishop. We, you know, gotcha. I sing the other one. We're at the uh, restaurant.
1: I remember. We sing the Eagles. I know. <laughs> Actually, we are the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> great restaurant, and and such. A, it reminds me of Rome. You yeah. know, homemade stuff. Yeah, very homemade. Yeah, nobody does it. Delicious. Anymore. Barely. Yeah. Wow. This is a great surprise. Yeah, we'll thank you. Do and
3: oh. I'll get this stuff ready and then you guys can. Oh, uh, what yeah, a nice well, surprise. We'll you. Thank you. I, know, do you this mind, I don't know. Do you mind if we have a little bit of water? No, oh, that's fine. Like, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Right. yeah a little bit. Thank I'm not you. saying we're going to town.
2: Happy New Year. On behalf of Redeemer Radio, we'd like to thank you for your support of the station and Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. And special thanks to Alex Fiato and the Italian Connection, located at 2725 Taylor Street in Fort Wayne, for their help with this episode. It's been a great year and a half of shows, and we have more exciting episodes coming your way in 2019, now including a special behind-the-scenes episode of this year's Priestly Ordination on June 1st. Plus will continue to highlight diocesan offices and programs in our united mission of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have a question you'd like Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future show, if there's a show idea you'd like to pass along, or if you have feedback for us, just visit RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. And as a special challenge for the new year, ask just one other person to listen to the show or have them subscribe on their podcast app.
1: I was not expecting this pranzo now. <laughs> I wasn't expecting pranzo today like this. Yeah. It's great. What's pranzo? It's lunch. Oh. Yeah, it's okay. it's the main meal. Lunch. Right. Yeah, in Italy. Yeah.
3: Oh wow. Now that's made with homemade pasta, made fresh today. Um, your your, your uh, peas, um, we pancetta. We. I, I. This is your cheese. If you want to do it, I didn't want to overdo it with
1: Mi cheese. This is, this Mi is piace molto burger. il formaggio.
3: <laughs> so, and then for the staff, you guys, we've got this, so you guys are welcome to. I made you chicken riggies. It's a chicken with a, a vodka sauce. It's got cream and red sauce with chicken with rigatonis. Okay. So, you're welcome to that. And there then Bishop go, Kyle.
1: and are going to sit. Yeah. Let me put these down over here. Say a prayer. Place go. Oh, good the job.
3: We'll, we'll bless the wine.
1: Yes. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through, through Christ. Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Bon appetito. God
3: bless you. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
3: So I wanted to I Can't I, wait I, to I, taste it. I tried to find um It actually, the authentic um, carbonara is with spaghetti. And when he talked that he wanted it, he wanted it with spaghetti. I mean, the the advanced people that were talking to him. But normally they make it with a fettuccine, but that's not, the the right noodle is what he's eating, the spaghetti, with the oil, not with the cream. Um, Everybody orders it with the cream because they're all cream crazy, but Bishop. I
1: do not like, it's not authentic with cream. Whenever I order right. carbonara at a restaurant, I always say, Is it made with cream? And if they say yes, too I don't hard. order it.
3: <laughs> Except if he's at my restaurant and then he tells me what he wants and I cook it the order for him. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's right. Right? That's
3: right. <laughs> then we sing. <laughs> you may want more, this of this, is, I don't know. I'm going to have more. This you is really good. More. You can't beat that. I got
1: cheese too. Are you going to have anything?
3: I ate before
1: I came. Did you? Okay. I was so
3: nervous. I was hoping that, you know, you wouldn't reject the food. I know how you are sometimes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm, ever reject I'm food. Just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no. Very few food dishes would I reject. Yeah. Isn't this delicious? Yeah, that's Help amazing. yourself. It's <laughs> all going to stay yes, with you. Yes, get some, Kyle. All right, all right. I'm just going to eat it right out of here because I'm going to take this and heat up the rest don't later. Don't leave it. No, and then bet, anytime you I'll want take it, some more cheese on
3: anytime here. you want here this this cheese right here is a higher higher end the other stuff is oh what kind of cheese is it that's a parmesan parmesan imported parmesan you'll notice the difference in the the other ones are good cheeses yes yeah. you don't have
1: that late yeah
3: I mean it's always the next
1: step of this is really good the way you did it with the vegetables.
3: Well, instead the of just the peas the out of the bag or something, I, you know, they, they probably went to the garden, picked them, and threw them in. Mm. That's how they would get their protein, through beans and peas and mm. vegetables. Mm. Homemade pasta, though. Made of fresh today. Can you tell? El Dante.
0: Mm-hmm. What are these noodles? Rigatoni.
1: They,
3: rigatoni, but I don't make those. I have a hard time with them. But that, it, traditionally, that's what they want them in, Rigatoni. Mm. So I'd have made you the regular pasta, but that's chicken riggies. I, I may do that. It's it's not a real real difficult thing to do. I got to start simplifying because I'm too old to, <laughs> to keep doing what I'm doing. Now, is the flavor just right? I didn't want to oh, over salt it for it's you. very good. Uh, now, are you usually what time do you usually open? Five to nine Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Okay, I'm there pretty much all. Week doing something. If you call me in advance, you got something going on, or you want me to deliver something, just call me. Let me know, and I'll go outside Mm. to do it for you. Maybe you're going to have some dignitaries in from Italy. Well, you want to come to me to do that. You know what I mean? So that they they'll know what they're getting is yeah, Yeah, real. (laughs) Right, it's real. So you know, this guy's been 40 years. The Jews didn't wander for 40 years. (laughs) I'm still doing it. 40, 40 41. Right, it's part of my penance. Oh, it is. You can either suffer or you can work. I'll work. (laughs) My poor mother suffered. Yeah, so that's uh, yeah. Well, what a pleasure to to see you again. They said they wanted right a big surprise you. for you. <laughs> it, it was. I knew it. I amazed. had no idea. He so would we will find out exactly what it was. They gave me the whole rundown. Of it. Yeah, he wants the authentic stuff. When when you gave all the details of the spaghetti
0: carbonara, oh, he, I, I forgot I'd done that. I thought we sh- we all, should all do the details. details. Be yeah, because
3: yeah. you me. said spaghetti, <laughs> and I said when I look traditionally, it's, it is with spaghetti. Yeah. everybody thinks it's with like fettuccine, but he. He knows what it, what the real deal is. Yes,
1: yeah. it really is. How long were you in Rome? Seven years. Yeah. The place that I liked the carbonara the best was the Abruzzi, which was right in the center city. It was, it's very popular among the seminarians and priests. And it's right next to the, right close to the university I attended, which is about two blocks from the Trevi Fountain. The Abruzzi restaurant, but they had great carbonara. Well, cheers, a toast to Charles all Phil of you. John. A toast to Redeemer Radio and all its, its great work. Cheers. cheers. Redeemer
3: Radio, wonderful job. <laughs> you know, I was the worthy grand knight of Redeemer Radio.
2: Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.